0: Hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Conja Book Club. The price of admission? $50,000. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Conja Book Club, a weekly Uteni podcast where we intentionally experience the Star Wars Expanded Universe together, one story at a time. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here with someone who finally made my life complete, and that is Cheryl Bell, because she watched a marble video for me. Cheryl, how you doing?
1: I am doing well, thank you, Timothy.
0: What are your thoughts on the marble video? Be honest.
1: Okay, I could handle it in, like, the three, like, you sent me initially, like, a, like a ten-minute <laughs> long video, and I was like, I'm yep. sorry, I'm not gonna, like, spend ten minutes watching this. So you <laughs> were kind enough to send me, like, a condensed, like, a three-minute video. Yeah. And that one was actually entertaining, so.
0: Good. Good. Okay. So, I am now set. I can forever send you smaller chunks of marble videos, and you will watch them. This is great. Yes. <laughs> this is great. Well, now the next person that we need to get hooked onto the Marble video phenomenon is our man Adam Dyson. Adam, how are you? This uh, it's this morning to me, or it's this afternoon to me. It's this morning to you. How are you?
2: I'm feeling pretty good, mate. A little bit sick, and I did not watch the Marble video. I forgot um, about it.
0: Gosh, <laughs> oh, I'm so sad. Cheryl just brings me up, right, and then Adam is always there just to let me down gradually. <laughs>
2: Manage expectations, Timothy. You're right. In Star Wars and friendships. You know, manage those expectations. <laughs> You're right.
0: You're right. You're right. Yeah, Chris uh, is new to this. He goes, wait, marble videos? What videos are we referring to? Oh, friend, let me tell you. Uh, go to YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> go to YouTube and just look up Marble Olympics. It is a channel called, um, I guess it's Gels Marble Runs, J E L L E S, I think. Anyways, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, watch them all night long. It'll be, it'll be great. There are so many videos. Fantastic. Um, I am so glad <laughs> that you all are here. Um, thank you for sticking with me through my tangents and my, my love of marbles. Um, however you are listening to us, whether you're here live in Discord, um, or you're listening to us on Patreon or however you got a hold of this, Thank you for being here and putting up with us. Um, we are live in Discord every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and our episodes to the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you can't catch us live, send us a message if you'd like to get your thoughts on the air. We always like to bring you into the conversation however possible. Do you have some news that we wanted to run by you? Um, Utini's got a lot of big stuff going on, as we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. Um, this week, we especially went pretty um, heavy on news content on the site. Um, something that we haven't done a lot of, uh, but Meg Dowell is a fiercely amazing person um, and has been cranking out anytime Star Wars has released some kind of news. She has been on it and we have had a news story on it. So um, shout out to Meg once again for all the incredible work that she does. I'm really excited to see all of that. Corey has been um, a madman rebuilding the website <laughs> basically from the ground up. Um, and we have some really cool um, new updates to the book profile pages. So whenever you go to look up Heir to the Empire or you're looking to purchase Victory's Price for March, um, check out the sleekness of the new book profiles. Um, They are beautiful, easy to read. Um, They used to be kind of like dull and gray and just kind of there. This is this is great. Corey's been absolutely killing it. Um, And we have a whole lot of more news coming down the line. Um, The timeline's been getting a huge refresh, um, and I think we'll have an announcement about that coming up in the next week. So stay tuned. Adam, we've got some Discord stuff going on. What would you like to tell the good people about there?
2: Uh, so <clears throat> I uh, finally went ahead and upgraded the, the Uteny Discord to a community level Discord, so basically we've moved away from a server with a just for a group of friends to a server that supports a particular entity, so Uteny itself. So Uh, New users, for example, will join and they'll get this nice professional little welcome screen. And then before they can even type in the server, they need to verify mobile phone numbers um, as well as like look at our community code of conduct and our fan code. They have to read it. They have to agree to it. um, And then they are actually able to join the server. So with the website getting an upgrade, I thought it was time that the server itself also got an upgrade.
0: You've taken us into the next level. It's like we're professional or something. That's so cool that is really neat i've seen some of the channels upgraded so i guess that some of that is is part of that process huh
2: yeah so our community rules channel becomes not just any other channel anymore it actually has an effect on those trying to join um, oh, that's really cool new, so if you if a friend of yours joins you in the future all they'll be able to see is those that utility oh sorry that Utenity, Wow, well, that community rules channel until they actually <laughs> agree until they actually agree to it and then they can actually yes. jump in and I,
0: I, I really like the term that you just coined, the utility.
2: <laughs> I <Yeah>. love that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I'm sick. Get up
0: Yeah, no, you're good. That's really fun. Um, on the Patreon front, um, we have still been working behind the scenes on some changes there. We're really excited about that. But the most important thing that is coming up is that the community has decided what book they would like to go up against... Um, mine, Adam, and Patrick's picks for April's book. Um, And the community has chosen Queen's Peril. So now it is up to our patrons to log in. The poll is up live, and they get to vote for the next week on which book we are going to read in April. So Cheryl is super excited, and she is immediately going to her phone to, to vote. So your options are Catalyst, which is my pick, Thrawn which is Adam's pick into the dark which is Patrick's or Queen's peril which is the community pick so I cannot think of the record off the top of my head right now except for the fact that I know that I am still winning on picks Um, uh
1: you're tied now
0: am I tied
1: well two for catalyst and two for throne
0: well, I'm thinking like right. over what? our overarching oh, over the I length you meant, like, the the, bunch the, of like
1: club, actual like poll right now. The, right. I was like, the
0: people right. like my picks better. Is what oh, I'm
1: saying. that's because that's I because see. you you, you, look, you
2: look at the bookshelf. You look at the bookshelf and you pick like the second favorite. <laughs> don't come in here with I win it all. You pick what they want. And that's just you don't give them what they want. Timothy, you pick what you want to pick.
0: <laughs> it, I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, I will say, I can't remember if it made the audio last week or not. Um, I think it was after the show. But I think I've decided that my next community pick, which is no one wants to do this. Um, my pick is going to be a Mace Windu book, just so that we have to have a Mace Windu segment every week. And so that that will be what will happen in the future. So,
2: but it just, won't be a segment. It'll be like an hour a week exactly. of Mace <laughs>
0: Exactly. It's going to be so, so filled with joy. Nothing, (laughs) nothing will abide by our community standards and rules as much as talking about Mace Windu for an hour every week for a full month. And I'm going to make sure it's a month. I'm going to make sure it's a month with five weeks too. That way we get the extra, extra time.
2: So we spend six months building the listener base and in, 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 then within, within an hour it disappears.
0: I'm like Thanos, baby. <laughs> Just going to completely demolish our community with one book choice. <laughs>
2: yeah you'll be doing it fine. alone patrick and i will just not turn up <laughs>
0: <laughs> it'll be fine it'll be fine i promise uh yeah chris says uh shatterpoint yeah that's that's probably gonna be it
1: <laughs> i was just um, gonna say it was like is there a book that extensively has mace i in think that
0: that that's one? it i think that's the one that i think of that he's the prominent thing on the on the cover art but who knows? Anyways, that's that's for a, a bridge that will cross down the line. Uh, but this poll for April's book, Catalyst, Thrawn, Into the Dark, or Queen's Peril, that will run until uh, this coming Friday at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. So make sure to go and get your vote in. I think we've got over like 70 patrons now. So I think it'd be really awesome if we could get, um, get just all of the votes. All of the votes specifically for Catalyst. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of Conjure book club news march's book is alphabet squadron victory's price um, that book comes out on march 2nd that is this coming tuesday like three four days away coming up real quick um, and our first show on that will be next saturday march 6th so if you don't have it make sure to go and pre-order it um, stop by your local bookstore do whatever you want to do find a way to get a hold of that book uh, because I'm really excited to talk about this epic conclusion. Alexander Freed is a brilliant mastermind, and these are some of the most, most, I say, well-known characters. Not because everybody knows who they are, but because, like, he gets into their psyches in a whole nother level that most I feel like Star Wars authors don't. And I feel like I know these people inside and out. And I am so excited. For my boy, Will Lark, I want to see him do some cool things. So I'm just going to leave it there. (laughs) Um, Let's get into the whole reason that we're here, though. Um, We are covering the ending of Heir to the Empire, chapters 25 through 32. Um, Let this be your spoiler alert warning. So if you haven't read the book and you plan to do so soon, continue at your own risk. In this week's set of chapters, Leia awakes to an attack in her room by the Nogri. Some friends were killed, but they must escape because they're still in danger. Climbing through the trees under the city, they spot a Nogri speeder, and Leia uses the rope to swing her saber into it. One of the captured Nogri, named Kabarak, uh, refers to Leia as the Maliarish, or Lady Vader. Nogri species are servants of Vader after he rescued them from the turmoil of the Galactic War. There's reverence for her, and though Thrawn is now in command of them, he listens to Leia and thinks of meeting up with her again. In the Forest of Merkur, Mara and Luke are tired. They're being attacked by Vornskers, and they're stunned and gashed from their efforts. When they finally get free, Mara reveals her role in the Empire as the Emperor's Hand. R2 is able to get a message from C-3PO that a plan is in place. They just have to keep pushing forward. The plan doesn't fully work, the Imperials end up taking them prisoner. Han also happens to be a prisoner, but they're about to walk into town in the middle of a kind of planned ambush. Lando and Aves watch the events and prepare to launch the attack. When C-3PO tries to change the plan on new intel, Lando has to turn on Aves to make it all work out. It's very tense, very crazy. The explosion doesn't create the chaos that they thought it would, the troopers recover quickly, and Lando takes a shot to the arm. Luke counters the troopers and then uses his lightsaber to bring down the arch, even without the force, which Talon is very impressed by, and he lets the gang escape. He's bummed about leaving Merkur, though. Upon leaving the planet, the force comes back to Luke. They head to Slewis Van to see if they can get a ship fixed. And while all of this has been happening, Thrawn has been prepping for the attack. They will proceed without Sabayoth, and they'll go in, they'll steal some ships, and they're going to leave. When his Merker crew does not report in on schedule, Thrawn knows that Card has betrayed them and that Luke was actually there. The light is green for the attack, though. Wedge is hauling gear ba- uh, to Bipfash, but he has to go through Sluis Van first. As he awaits his scheduled leave, and bickers with the commanding officer at the shipyards. A suspicious bulk freighter appears and just absolutely blows up. Rogue Squadron launches, and then the Empire shows up. TIE fighters everywhere. Thrawn uses these mole miners that he uh, stole from Lando's whole operation, and and they uses them against the Mon Calamari cruisers in an effort to steal them. Han gets Lando because he realizes the mole miners are remote-controlled through radio. They turn the mole miners on, and the ships go into absolute chaos. Thrawn pulls his forces and bails. They're not defeated. They're just slowed. Slowest fan isn't the goal, it's just the start of it. Thrawn is a warrior, not a soldier. The End Collective matters more to him. Paleon wonders what Endor would have been like if Thrawn was in charge, because this whole thing is just scary, crazy intimidating. After the battle, Han and the gang have mixed feelings about what went down. The superior officer that Wedge was bickering with isn't a fan of destroying all the ships like they did, but he, he gets it, but he voices some of Counselor Failure's probable concerns. Uh, And then Leia, she calls from Coruscant. Akbar has been arrested and Luke worries that we're about to walk into an internal civil war. And then we get the dreaded words to be continued. I don't know about y'all, but if I had read this book when it had first come out, there is absolutely no way I would have been able to wait a year for the next one. I would have absolutely blown my mind because I immediately, kind of like Cheryl, in reference to your story about how you got to this book, you had to immediately go and find second and third book. Um I absolutely love everything about this. Um how did y'all feel ending it again? I know this isn't in the notes, but uh how did it feel to go back and reread this story again, Cheryl?
1: Oh, I always love always love reading this story. So it was yeah. It was just as much of a joy to read it now as it was upon my first reading of it. I've read it several times. So, but I haven't picked yep. it up in a while. So it was, it was fun.
0: Good, good. And Adam, you finished this weeks ago. Um, how did you feel coming to the ending of this?
2: I don't know, man. It's been too long. I've completely forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> None. Uh, It felt good because, like, I've heard so much about this book. So when I had finally finished it, it was like a big milestone in my Star Wars journey, I guess, that I could say that I had read Head of the Empire and and that at the end I'd really enjoyed it and wanted to then read the next one, which I went ahead and did. Well, I would have then read the third one if Into the Dark didn't come out when it did as well.
0: Have you finished book two yet?
2: I have, yes.
0: Good, good for you. (laughs) <laughs> um that's it's all so good. It's also good. Um well, let's, you know, talk about everything that we did read this week. Um and I kinda wanna start off with Leia. So um Zahn admits in the twentieth anniversary edition that he kind of feels like uh, Leia gets a little bit of the shaft in this back section of this book. Uh, like sh- there's not a whole lot of character stuff, but we do get some good moments with her. Um, and we get this major plot twist with Kabrak, um behaving differently towards Leia once he learns that she is Lady Vader. Adam, what did you make of that development and Leia's sense of trust in him?
2: I just really like the name Lady Vader for one. Um But for me, it it made a lot of sense. Darth Vader had saved Kabarak's people, and it was only natural that to meet a blood relative, but the actual daughter of that individual would have been a very powerful moment for Kabarak. So powerful that he questions his loyalty to Thrawn, I guess, from there. Yeah, it's really
0: cool. It made me kind of think a little bit to uh, the Stark difference from that to Bloodline. Um, which we read where all of a sudden, you know, her, her lineage kind of comes out and she does, she's like, Nope, that's that's not it. And obviously it's very different settings um, and very different um temperaments and things like that. But it was really interesting to see how she um, how she kind of played into it and then is like, Oh, this guy is worth trusting, I think a little bit. Um, Cheryl, how about you? Um, what did you make of the development and Leia's sense of trust in him?
1: Um, yeah, I think Leia knows how to read people, which we see her struggling a bit here because Karabakh is not a human. But um, she works with what she has, in this case, his body language and his actions. So I think she weighs what he could have done against what actions he chose to take instead. And I mm. also definitely think the Force is guiding her as well. And I mean, she has female intuition, so that's me yeah. too. But yeah. And then like, I love how now maybe we're going to get to know more about what we once viewed as a more one-sided evil space ninja villain type. So we learn that they're like a simple race, that their planet fell victim to the after effects of a space battle in orbit above their planet, and that they feel indentured servitude to Vader as an almost savior figure, and that their victims of a galaxy event that they had no part in. So we can start having compassion for our enemy. And I love that in storytelling.
0: Yeah. I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that like seeing, um, Rook and rebels made me really excited uh, because I was like, I've heard so much about this character. And then like, he had such an unfortunate ending there, but when reading these books and especially the, especially book two, um, where you really get into who the Nogri are, Um, yeah, this was a whole nother level. Um, and I love the way that Zahn is able to, to introduce, um, introduce them and introduce the complexity of how their, their kind of life debt situation works a little bit. I mean, they're not that different from the Wookiees in some ways. So Mm -hmm. I loved, loved seeing that. Um, and I think you're right about Leia, um, using the force a bit and using some of her own intuition a bit like she has spent a lifetime in politics um, and being able to read those around her of different species like yeah it was really cool to see that and I totally buy the fact that she was able to to try, to at least give him a shot right um, yeah. and she gave herself a cushion of a window of like a month right <laughs> to be like there's some time that she can still think some things through. <laughs> like she doesn't have to show up to the meet eventually, you know, all that kind of stuff. But
1: yeah. But like in that moment and yeah, like in going that into moment. that prison cell and just being in a, in a very vulnerable state, but like yeah. she weighed all the, all the facts of the events that had just happened before her. And she chose, okay, I'm going to trust this guy. Yeah.
0: And the, it, I think it's amplified by the fact that too, she's, Carrying children still. <laughs> um, and that's yep. a, to not only risk herself, but to risk her children's, you know, lives in the midst of that is, is really wild. Um, you know, we talked a couple weeks ago to um, Cheryl about how Leia and, and like her adrenaline, like keeping her in the war and that kind of thing. Um, and here we get a little bit of a sense that maybe she just needs to like kind of feel in control of her surroundings Um, And I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, what would the galaxy look like without her being at least partially in control? Um, And is she the only thing keeping it together? Does that make sense?
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't we all just want to feel in control? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think things remain stagnant if there's never any times of uncertainty. So in our struggles is when we learn and grow. So I think the galaxy is very much learning and growing right now as it navigates this shift to democracy again. And Leia is starting another journey of growth that starts here at the very end with Karabakh and continues in Dark Force Rising. So I, I don't think she's the only thing that's keeping it the, the like Republic, New Republic altogether, but, um, her diplomatic skills are certainly instrumental in helping it keep from falling apart
0: yeah i think that makes a lot of sense adam how about you is is she the only thing keeping it together
2: uh mm, i think that she forms part of what is keeping it together like a major part mind you but there are many moving parts to keeping the galaxy running as it is and like i said she's very important to that but to put it all at her feet i think that's a bit much
0: yeah I do think it's interesting how um and you know, with the 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 knowledge of what happens at the end of this trilogy too, that she really is so intricately tied to every plot point pretty much, um, in her own unique way, that whether whether the galaxy would actually fall apart without her or not, <laughs> um, she has almost made herself so um like, uh, utilitarian, I guess, like she has made herself a part of everything that it, it's like, she's the only one that can kind of keep it all together. It seems like, um, for her, like whenever they're, you know, crawling through the trees as they're trying to escape and stuff. And she's like on the verge of a full blown panic attack. It seems like, you know, being, um, like attached to Chewie pretty much. Um, and then all of a sudden she thinks of this idea, you know, to swing, the lightsaber on the rope to blow up the speeder. And it's like, as long as she can carve out her own little way to make sense of it, like I get really bad panic attacks. I've had a, Had anxiety, you know, kind of developed a lot recently. And it's like, if I can find one little area that I can just check box off myself, I, I feel a little bit more at ease. And I kind of feel like for her in this galactic stress that she's like, I just need to be able to do something myself to alleviate, think a little bit more clearly and to, uh um, you know, to kind of put some, put some stuff together. Um, But it's definitely on her. She's a very um uh, important, she, I mean, she plays a very important role, but she also kind of has to think a little bit highly of herself too, to be able to, to do those things.
1: But I it's think. also Mon Mothma that trusts her and yeah. keeps on putting more on her plate because she's, she's like, you're the only one that I can trust to do this right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those blessings and, and curses, right. <laughs> of like my, my anxiety is probably what keeps me going. <laughs> uh, but I would also very much like, and, you know, it puts food on the table and things like that. But I also, gosh, I just need a break sometimes. <laughs> um, and it's, I don't know, it was really interesting to, to see a little bit of, I guess in some ways see a little bit of myself and Leia in that moment of just to be like, Oh, like that's what that looks like. Um, and you know, she doesn't want to feel helpless and she she never wants to be in that situation. So anything that she can do to get herself out, I, I don't know, I loved that moment and it just it hit me in a particular way. Um, and it's just it's neat that and especially in this particular time that's very stressful in our world with everything going on, like to kind of be like Leia in this and think about, you know, where is where is my kind of personal responsibility? What can I do in this moment to make the best of my situation? Um, and trying to find ways to intentionally do that and put your best foot forward kind of thing. And I think she does that here, and it ends up working Mm -hmm. out pretty well.
1: (laughs) Anytime you aspire to be more like Leia, it's always going to be a good thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, So let's pivot away from Leia briefly. Um, We don't get to see much of Rogue Squadron here, but we are getting ready to read a book about pilots next week um adam did you like the use of wedge and rogue squadron here at the end of the book
2: yeah it was cool like i i know wedge i haven't read any stories like specifically surrounding rogue Rogue squadron so the x wing books etc so it was nice to see wedge uh, Wedge involved so yeah
0: i love that he has a a pretty heavy role um it it seems like in legends and i haven't read a lot of legends books either so i'm right there with you and not reading much about him um but I don't know. It makes me re- it made me really excited again to um, to eventually read the X-Wing books. But then also get the Rogue Squadron movie that's coming out um, soon, directed by Patty Jenkins. And I just I don't know. Anytime that I see Rogue Squadron there, I'm like, oh, these guys are important. They're, they're the stuff like like, yes, they're here. <laughs> Cheryl, how about you? Uh, did you like the use of Wedge and Rogue Squadron here at the end?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I like it because it shows them kind of navigating their role in a more somewhat post-wartime lifestyle. Yeah. So, like, what does life look like for them after the big battles are over and they aren't always scrambling to survive, moving from base to base. Um. So I kind of liked that aspect of it. And, I mean, it's always great to see Wedge and Luke flying together again, albeit Luke isn't actually flying, Han's flying, but you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, yeah. I also just want to say I'm definitely Wedge when he's all impatient with Han. Like, okay, I give up. Tell me what I'm clearly not putting together in this puzzle. <laughs> Cause like same Wedge, yeah. same.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep, I get that. Um I did love the moment where um where they the the Falcon just arrives and Luke hops on the comms and Wedge is like, Luke, is that you? Yay. <laughs> like, like best friend, this is great.
1: Yeah, very <laughs> pure. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. So pure. I think maybe the best bromance in all of Star Wars. Uh don't hold me to that. But um let's talk about our girl Mara freaking Jade. Um because I love her <laughs> and I think Luke loves her too. He is starting to. <laughs> um you know, I loved all of the moments that we get the two of them in the forest and the way that they banter and stuff, but She is so tired that she ends up revealing in this section to Luke who she was to the Empire. Like, it's not even worth it to her to try to keep hiding this. It's just, let's get it out there. Um, Cheryl, what did you make of this particular type of expansion to Imperial lore? Um, You know, that she was this trained assassin. Like, we've never seen her in the films. Uh, Do you buy her inclusion here?
1: I think I just instantly bought it because I just loved her character so much that I just like accepted it. It was like, yeah, sure. She was off on a mission. That's why we never saw her. And like, um, yeah, I was. Yeah. So, and I like, yeah, I just, I just instantly fell in love and just was like, yep. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Adam,
0: how about
2: you? Yeah. I personally love the idea of the emperor's hand, um, thinking back to when i was playing the old republic there was an emperor's hand and i think you played a position like the right hand you're the emperor's wrath or something like that just the idea that you're working in the shadows and where you go um you know fear tends to follow and all that kind of thing so yeah i love that little addition to the lore.
0: yeah do you do you feel for her a bit now too um <laughs> that she has absolutely nowhere to go after indoor, like being the emperor's hand like she's been cut off from her body like do you feel for her in this
1: who are you yeah, asking that. first oh yeah <laughs> I, adam. Like, I have a paragraph so who are you asking <laughs> yeah let's go, go with adam, adam
2: first so, i'll give my simpleton simpleton's answer uh yes like her rock has been taken away um or what she sees as her rock her her reason like the reason for her to be there her being um there would be like incredibly traumatic to lose all that to lose that foundation and just being like really just a void
0: yeah cheryl give us your paragraph
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i absolutely feel for her um her just going off building on what adam said her world was built by the emperor in such a way that her whole identity is completely tied to him so like Mara is a victim of grooming. She was most likely isolated from anyone else outside of whomever the emperor allowed her to interact with, which is a form of alienation. And then she is then conditioned or trained to do his bidding, whether it be espionage or being an assassin or wherever he, whatever he needs her to do. And her whole identity is tied to him, which makes her dependent on him. She is nothing mm-hmm. without him. No prestige or power is her own. And when he died, she was left with nothing.
0: Yeah. God, it's so heavy. It's so heavy. And it totally makes me feel for her um, because she doesn't have a way out. Um, like she's scrambling um, just to find some piece of her identity because it's basically been taken from her. Right. Like that's, that's so tough to see. Um, and I'm, you know, it seems like Luke kind of picks up on that a little bit um, because he doesn't reveal to Han, you know, who she is um, and why she wants to kill him. Um, and that's the first time when I read that, I was like, "Ooh, they're going to love each other. This is so fun. <laughs> it's like, because um, he
1: loves her. <laughs> yeah.
0: And uh, uh, it's just... I, Zahn did a phenomenal job just writing her um, and just to make us care for this brand new character so much. Um, I did want to read. So he talks a little bit about her creation and I just want to give the behind the scenes on it uh, from the 20th anniversary edition. Um, So he says, Mary Jade's creation began with a simple idea and plan to tie the opening section of return of the Jedi more closely to the main story presented by the star Wars movies. To elaborate a bit, Han's rescue was, of course, a vital part of Jedi, but to me it always felt a little disconnected from the main Rebellion plotline, which it was, of course, rescuing Han was strictly personal, on everybody's part. As he molded over, it occurred to me that Vader's attempt to persuade Luke to join him in The Empire Strikes Back, the Emperor might very well have decided that Luke was more liability than potential asset, and sent someone to take him out when he turned up at Jabba's palace. What kind of person might Palpatine send? It would have to be someone competent, naturally. It would also have to be someone who could meet Luke's Jedi power head-on. Finally, it would have to be someone who was out of the normal chain of command, lest Vader get wind of the plan. From all that came the idea of the Emperor's Hand, a shadowy agent under Palpatine's sole command. And from that, ultimately, came Mara Jade. And although her early history still remains mysterious, Zahn adds that he has now had a chance to tell a few of her stories of her life as the Emperor's Hand in Star Wars Allegiance and Star Wars Choices of One. So if you haven't read those and you want to know more about Mara, you should do that.
1: <laughs> Both of which I have not yet read, but own.
0: Oh, nice. Well, yeah, that's going to have the, I to be your them last next year project. year and I'm
1: like, I have to read them still.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, I, I just, I love that to see kind of how her creation came to be um, and how he kind of worked at it backwards and... Just to choose Mara specifically, and I think also just to choose a, a, a female counterpart to Luke was such a, I don't know, was really cool to see. Um, and I love that she is such an enduring character now. Um, just so cool.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Speaking of enduring characters, Thrawn, the ultimate big bad in this particular trilogy, um, he makes quite a bit of an impact uh, here at the end. He doesn't want Sabaoth near the Slewis Van attack um, because he knows that Sabaoth does actually want power, even though it it doesn't seem like that's the case. Um, Knowing that the attack didn't go in Thrawn's favor, Adam, do you think that he made the right call by keeping Sabaoth on the bench?
2: I do. Uh, Not for the reasons that you've already spoken about, but I think it's also because one doesn't want to become reliant on a Force user. Um, in, in battle like that, I guess. So he's seen what happens when that force user is taken away, so looking at the Battle of Endor. And Sabioff in, is, what, insane, basically, at this point. Yeah, so okay. to have him there in the first place is a bad idea, but I think the main thing just from uh, like a military point of view is he just does not want to rely on that because it's not always going to be there. He has to look at ways that he can be victorious on his own merit, with his own non-sensitive forces.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think there's part of me that kind of was like, I don't know, why not just end it all? Um, like if it's, I guess Thrawn maybe didn't know for sure that Luke would have been there, that Han would have been there, that he could have destroyed, you know, (laughs) the leadership basically in one, you know, pretty fell swoop. But I don't know, Cheryl, what do you think? Did, did Thrawn make the right call by benching Sabayoth?
1: I personally think that Thrawn is somewhat misreading Sabayoth. Like, Sabiath likes the up-close and personal control over others. And okay. I think Thrawn incorrectly thinks that he would be more like the Emperor in, like, the Galactic Conquest. But Sabiath doesn't mm. quite run that way. Like, he wants to control every single aspect of your life and make you in his image. Like, he doesn't want the power to rule. He wants the power to play God.
0: Interesting. So...
1: I still think it was the right call not to have him there, but I think that for other reasons than what Thrawn is saying, um, I also think that the the job could have been botched. Like as soon as Sabiath realized Luke was there, like he would have got yeah. distracted by that.
0: Ooh, that's a good thought. Like he would have thrown everything else to the water to the wayside just to make sure that he got yeah. Luke. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I guess I guess he wants he wants him more than he wants the empire's reign. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't that want. earlier his... in the book. Yeah, yep. Yeah. He doesn't care about. Interesting. I love that thought. Um, cool. So part of that process, I think, Paleon makes um, the the case that he sees Thron as a true warrior, um, not a soldier. Cheryl, what do you think about that? And which do you think he is? Do you think he's a warrior or a soldier? And is do you see a difference?
1: Uh, Yeah, I feel like there's a big difference between soldier and warrior. Uh, Soldier is a fighter using their skills and training to, to fulfill their orders and rely on a chain of command. And they have limited initiative, whereas a warrior is a fighter using their martial spirit or, in Thrawn's case, tactical genius as and personal philosophy to fight
2: Mm. with
1: warriors is typically more about honor and glory. And I think Pelion is seeing that Thrawn has always had the long-term objective in mind, whereas others may have lashed out to teach the rebels a lesson in the moment. Thrawn isn't above admitting a small defeat and doesn't want to risk any more potential loss in the restoration of the empire to its former glory because that's his ultimate goal.
0: Mm. That is excellently put. Adam, do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, most definitely. there is for me, there is a difference between a warrior and a soldier. When I hear the term soldier, I think the individual who is there in the moment um with the weapon, et cetera, or even commanding a soldier commanding other soldiers on the battlefield doesn't really think any further than that. Um, however, the warrior is there, but he's also thinking of the future and and you know what this battle will mean, et cetera from a military standpoint. But also, but as, but it also comes down to, like the values as well. There's a difference in values between a warrior and a soldier. A soldier is there to fight probably for money, um, mm. as in a warrior is there because he believes in what he's fighting for, or what she is fighting for. There's a code, and as for me, a soldier doesn't really have a code.
0: Yeah, I I, I think I buy that. Um. It's really interesting. I'm, I'm trying to keep up loosely with the conversation between Chris and Ultimate Sauce in the chat. Um, and, you know, they have, are talking about, you know, how um, Sabath's obviously too insane to be an emperor. Um, but it's interesting that Thrawn, you know, being pretty good militarily, he can't really do politics or run a galactic society. So it's interesting to see kind of what those pieces could look like. Um, like if Thrawn's ultimate goal is, you know, to eventually build the empire back up. Kind of who sits at the top of it? Because do you, like would it be him? Kind of a thing. Um, and, and like,
2: Yeah, sorry. And like, just quickly on the values of the soldier versus the warrior. Like, a soldier can have values. Like, he can believe in you know the organization that he's fighting right. for, for example. But he, but he's blindly going forward without thinking for himself. A warrior's values is that he still believes in his own personal honor or hurt. You know, there, there, there's, there is a difference between the two. Like yeah. a warrior you know, or a soldier may become a warrior in the future.
0: Right. I feel like um, in a sense, like soldiers are definitely necessary um, and and part of winning the war, any war. Um, but I think of like whenever I play Halo, if the grunts overwhelm me, they're the weakest of, <laughs> of the bunch. But I mean, they're going to kill me because they just outnumber me tremendously. Um, but I think that any great emperor, any great military commander would want, um, a squad of warriors, you know, more than a squad of soldiers, I would think, um, that you want someone to believe in your culture and your value system so much that, you know, even if they get an arm chopped off, you know, they're, they're still going to be like, come back here. You know, I'll bite your legs off, um, for the Monty Python reference there. Um, but I, I don't know. (laughs) I, uh, I, I love that, um, I, it is really interesting to see him kind of point that out um, from the everyman side of things, and I think that Paleon himself is almost more of the soldier. Um, I think you know he's very loyal. You know he still kind of goes through the whenever they're turning over the command of the ship. You know there's still the very formal rules and regulations of you know throwing going is my ship ready, and he's like yes it's at your command or you know whatever the words are. Um, and Paleon is I think trying to find his way out of being that soldier mindset but the fact that he notices there's a difference there is a good um i think a, a really neat sign i guess um adam how do you think that endor would have ended if thrawn were in command do you think it, it would have been any different or
2: would our heroes
0: still have won
2: that's a big question timothy it is a, a big, big question, question. <laughs> to ask a man at seven forty-five in the morning <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that it would have ended it would have ended in the same way with the defeat. However, like to get to that point would have been different. It would have been for Thrawn there would be no personal stake in it. Like he's thinking in this, on, in a strategic manner. Like you look at the Emperor and he's very personal in his approach. He's there for himself. He wants a desired outcome for himself. But Thrawn would be fighting for the idea of empire. Um, and perhaps in that it would have ended differently is the fact that he would have retreated earlier. Mm. Um, he would have yeah. made a calculated military decision and got out of there and saved more of his ships, perhaps mm. would have saved a superstar destroyer, Destroyer, all these things. That, yeah. So, yeah, it would have ended differently because Thrawn would have got out of there faster.
0: Mm. Interesting. That's a really That's a really good point. Cheryl, how about you?
1: Oh, yeah, I think it would have... I mean, ultimately, the Emperor is still like the Death Star's fate is still sealed, probably. But yeah, because you have the Force as your ally in that end of the in that end of the battle, I think. But potentially, yeah, the like pot- the potential is there that the Empire could have won that battle if Thrawn was in command, at least of the space fleet side of it.
0: Yeah. I think it's really interesting, you know, talking about, you know, even the differences between a warrior and a soldier, um, you know, the warrior kind of aspect buys more into the the team goal, the ultimate goal. And Emperor Palpatine, as much as he is in charge of, you know, a galactic <laughs> empire, he is still very much driven by personal desires. Um, and that ultimately could have been his downfall there. Um, and I love, you know, thinking that Thrawn may have pulled out sooner um, or maybe would have had a completely different strategy to have, to uh-huh. have gone through all that. Um, I want to bring up Zahn once again. Um, he talks a little bit about the character of Grand Admiral, Th- of Grand Admiral Thrawn here at the end. Um, and he has an opinion on how the Battle of Endor would have gone. And so I want to read that real quick. He says, so here at last we have all the pieces that went into the creation of Grand Admiral Thrawn. He's competent and capable, enough so that his troops can be assured that they have the best possible chance of winning whatever battle they're being sent into. He cares about his troops and they know he won't sacrifice them for nothing. And he's driven by logic and reason, not anger or ego or wounded pride. Throw in the semi-mystical art thing through which he can anticipate his enemy's moves and make him an alien because the emperor disliked aliens and would never give such a rank to one unless he was really, really good. And when you've done all that, Grand Admiral Thrawn simply falls out of the equation. I think the greatest compliment Thrawn has ever received came from a U.S. serviceman. Um, He told me he and his buddies had read the Thrawn trilogy and had agreed that they would unreservedly follow a commander like Thrawn. Oh, and what would have happened if Thrawn had been in command at Endor? The rebels, in Timothy Zahn's humble opinion, would almost certainly have lost. So, very interesting. Um, I think there's a lot of cool conversations that can be around all of that. Um, and yeah, Adam, I mean, you're talking about it there in the chat and you just said it that, you know, the ending of the story showed us that Thrawn's willing to know when he can't be victorious and will retreat to fight another day. And I think that's a lesson that he learned from having the failure that he mentioned earlier in the book with that one piece of art that he kind of held on to that, you know, I may have taken the ill today, but I can come back and take the, the greater win. Um, down the road. And I think that's it's really cool. Um, let's move on from Thrawn to talk about our heroes. Um, we get a little bit with Luke. Um, I say a little bit. We get a lot with Luke here. Um, but we've talked about him a lot already. Um, and we may have talked about this a little bit last week. But what is it about Luke that makes him so freaking special? Um, and how is it that he can do the things that he does even without the Force. Uh, Cheryl, let's start with you.
1: Uh, For me, I think what makes Luke special is we see his capacity for compassion and empathy, particularly with Mara. Um, I also love how absolutely chill he is when faced with surviving alongside someone who wants to kill him. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He trusts in the good of people, and I think he trusts his gut a lot. Um, He's a very quick thinker, though, and he's able to improvise very well, as we see a lot in this section. And I would imagine that maybe his upbringing and the harsh living on Tatooine and always having to work with what you have, those skills and instincts might be kicking back in a little bit when he's without the Force, but definitely just his... His empathy, I think, is what I love the most.
0: Yeah, I love that, you know, once again, like this whole time he's been without his force powers and he's having to rely on his own um, his own skills and knowledge. And I I think for me, I think we forget a lot of times because the force is so at the forefront of who he is um, that he's still been serving in a military capacity, (laughs) you know, uh, for the last five, six, seven years at this point, nine years, probably, I guess when you factor from the time that he left Tatooine. So he's probably picked up some things along the way. Um, And I think that that's something that makes him a bit underrated. I think his legend can be built up to be, you know, he's this great mystical Jedi and, you know, he can do all these force things when we take that away, he's nothing. Um, But he's probably been paying attention you know, I mean, his sister is the leader of the rebellion and his best friend is one of the best pilots we've ever seen. Um, and so I'm sure that he's going to pick some things up along the way. Um, Adam, how about you? What are your thoughts on what makes him special and how is it that he can do the things that he does?
2: I think he's just he's just a nice guy with a humble beginning. I think that we can't overlook how he, you know, who we grew up with, you know, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen instilling particular values in him that when he goes and he leaves Tatooine, he lives that rural life behind that he still carries himself in a particular way. Like he was, he grew up, he was taught and he just carries those values with him wherever he goes and he uses the force and all these other tools to, and, to make those things happen.
1: Yeah. I love that. Just enhances. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: He, he ne- it enhances what he he's already created to be.
0: Yeah. And he never thinks that he knows it all either. Like having that mm-hmm. humility, I think allows him the flexibility to get out. It's very different from, it, it's not dissimilar to the way that Thrawn looks at, at military strategy and things like that. He's very cognizant of the things that he doesn't know. Um, and I think Luke is kind of the other side of that coin of, you know, I, I just don't know a lot <laughs> um, and I'm never going to let what I think I know um, limit me, I guess. So, um, I, I just, I love him. And we talked about it last week, Cheryl, Luke is, this is my favorite version of Luke that Mm -hmm. I I think I've ever read. Um, even with some of the canon stories that we've gotten, you know, I think this has, this has been my favorite Luke so far.
1: Yeah, mine too. Um, This trilogy is always going to be probably always going to be my favorite Luke.
0: Yeah. Um, which I... Tangent. I also love the Luke that is represented by your shirt that you're wearing, which is the directed by Ryan Johnson. (laughs) Love that. Here for some Last Jedi Luke as well.
1: Yep. Yep. Last Um, Jedi Luke is is my jam.
0: Yep. All for it. Let's talk about Lando. Um, He gets into a pretty tense situation with... Aves, um, you know, who is Tard's second in command. Um, you know, what does this near misstep with him say about the stakes of the galaxy? Cheryl, we'll start with you.
1: When push comes to shove, or in this case, a gun to your head, uh, you trust in those whom you know you can trust your life with. So Lando's going to risk it all for those that he loves, as would most anyone if under the gun. Like, the stakes for Lando are high in this moment. Um, Han and Luke's lives are what matter most to him, right? And he's willing to risk it all to to trust that Luke knows what he's doing. Um, I mean, Luke has a pretty good track record, (laughs) So Lando's gambler instincts would probably take that into consideration. Uh, Lando has placed many high stakes, yeah, n- life or death bets probably in his life. So part of me is just like, yeah, Lando's all about the high roll, and he'll take this. He'll take this gamble.
0: Yeah, Adam, how about you? What do you think?
2: I think just when push comes to shove, even the coolest character in the galaxy can. You know, take take that huge gamble for the the ones that he loves, and that that cool facade will disappear um, when he gets to a point where, you know, it's do or die. He needs to save his friends.
0: Um, we see something like this in uh, canon too the the new comic lines uh, that are currently running through. Um, between a new uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Um, Lando has a very similar situation with a very near and dear ally in a way um, where uh, he basically holds um, Poe Dameron's daddy at gunpoint as well um, in an effort to save Lobot. Um, And there's a very tense situation happening there. And it, it, it says a lot to me about Lando, yeah, on the friendship front, like he's gonna do whatever it takes to save his friends. He's also calculating all of these variables um and the risk that's involved and um but he's also still very much a smuggler. <laughs> um and he'll do whatever it takes to see things through. Um and the Aves as well, like you're working with a complete stranger. Like you just showed up on this person's planet um and have to try to trust them and you don't know how how anybody works yet um and Lando's one who left the war too and so i think about some of those things of you know he resigned his commission you know he doesn't want the general title um and to see him kind of get put back into this like there's there's a lot that's on the line um and it's it's just really fun to see when when Lando is is here and i i don't think I would see anybody else quite in this situation like him, the way that it was handled. You look like you have a thought, Cheryl.
1: I was just going to say, like, well, he stepped up to the plate and became a general because he knew that that's what they needed at that moment. Yeah. But when it when it comes down to it, Lando's a businessman. At heart, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, that's an excellent point. All all about the business and kind of loosely about saving his friends. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of loosely. Ugh.
0: um ultimate sauce a asks a great question um not specifically related to um heir to the empire but i want to go ahead and and talk about it real quick um he talks about you know like next month we're going to be covering victory's price um and about like whenever there's a newer book um you know do you have to put the spoiler tags on everything when we're talking about it here in the chat um adam as our discord administrator um what what are your thoughts on this particular question? Um, within the chat, is it best to still use the spoiler tags when we're talking about it or no? Nah?
2: Yeah, so because it is a new release book, we will have to do spoiler tags for the months that we take the, the newer stories. Um, so there is a channel in new release category for this kind of talk. Um, but yeah, because we're outside of that realm in really a public chat forum... Yeah. Uh, we will be using spoiler tags and then rules for reply. So any messages without spoiler tags will be uh, deleted and a warning given, et cetera. So we don't ruin the experience for other people.
0: Awesome. Cool. Thank you for that clarification. And thank you for the question, ultimate sauce too. We're still going to be reading along and we'll still be, you know, answering the questions as we talk about it live in here. And that's just a risk that people are going to have to to recognize if they hop into the voice chat that they may hear some things, but um yeah it's a good call adam
2: and we'll and we'll give a warning prior to starting the books well server-wide so that those who may not listen to us live and just quickly jump into chat like you know anyone is known to do they will know that we are talking spoilers and they if they click they may see something they don't want to see
0: cool good stuff um let's move to uh lando's semi- Bestest friend in the whole wide world. Um, let's talk about Han Solo. Um, I think there's a lot that has already been said about him, uh, but I, I do want to ask this particular question, and that I, I found it to be very enlightening that um, that Han actually considers getting Talon a mon calamari cruiser (laughs) like he wants. Um, Cheryl, as the lover and um, all things uh, brilliant mastermind on all things Han, what do you think of Han earnestly thinking about this?
1: Uh, Yeah, Han is a man of his word. And if he can swing whatever he's promised um to card than he will i mean card did him a huge solid so he's yeah. gonna i think he's gonna try whatever he can do to pay card back in kind um Han may pretend to be a scoundrel but really he is an honorable dude
0: yeah and I, I love that there's the that code there um you know, that he sees somebody alike and he wants to make sure that there's probably a part of it that he wants to make sure he's even. He's all caught up in good too.
1: Well, Uh, yes, that too.
0: (laughs) Adam, how about you? What did you think of of Han, you know, earnestly thinking about giving, I mean, I guess, you know, if someone saves your life, I would would probably buy a friend a car. I don't know. (laughs) What about you?
2: Yeah. What what can be said? That's not already said. He has his own type of honor and that he's willing, like he owes a debt and he's going to pay that debt. Um I I don't know what else to add that the resident Han fan has I have another
1: thought too. Yeah. Because Han's ultimate goal is to get more smugglers mm. to join with or work alongside the New Republic, right? Here it is. So he's also thinking endgame as much as he can do to try to bring Card over to making that final decision of yeah. aligning and working with the New Republic. And maybe less being being less in the middle.
0: I totally buy that. This is why we brought you onto the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that makes total sense. Um, yeah, because I, I felt bad for him when he's, like, having to give his whole, you should join the New Republic. We need smugglers to help us do the thing. <laughs> and it's like, you okay. know Han's not good at giving PowerPoint presentations. Um, and I just, yeah, that's that's good that he would have that thought in mind of, you know, this is a way to do that, maybe. Um, and I love that, that Han is the one that thinks in, in the end of how to turn the tide in the battle, um, you know, with activating the mole miners and using the, the radio communication to do so. Cheryl, do you think that he made the right call to basically destroy all of those ships?
1: Definitely. Because I would rather have heavily damaged but repairable ships in my fleet than have working ships in the hands of the enemy. So yeah. the Empire still is at a disadvantage when it comes to fleet size in comparison to the New Republic at this point, even with these damaged vessels taken to into account. So uh, the New Republic may be stretched thin, but it's still got the upper hand.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of the things, circling back on that last question, Ultimate Sauce says, Han also knows by this point that Card saved Luke from Thrawn, so he would also probably take that into in consideration. Oh, definitely, you know, yeah. Not, yeah, Luke, not Han's just not just thinking of, of
1: himself. He's thinking of yeah, all his family and his friends. Yeah. 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 Cool.
0: Uh, great point, Ultimate Sauce. Uh, Adam, what about you? Do you think that... that Han made the right call and destroying all those ships with the mole miners, pretty much.
2: Uh oh, most definitely. Even from a military point of view, when a ground when a ground force or a force retreats, they will destroy their equipment so the enemy cannot yeah. use it. Um, I don't I don't see a problem at all with what Han did, and I think that that is really the only. The only thing that he could have done.
0: Yeah. Well, and that leads into the ending of the book and the big tease that we have that made me immediately want to go pick up Dark Force Rising. Um, and that's that Counselor Failure is not going to like the fact that all of these ships were damaged. And, you know, just that's kind of short sighted, I think, on his particular point. But holy cow, Admiral Akbar's arrested. Uh, not something I think any of us would have seen coming. Um, it's just this looming thing in the background, but Cheryl, you know, what are your initial thoughts, um, you know, heading into book two, I guess what, put yourself back into the shoes that you were in when you first read it. Um, like how did that set everything up? I guess I know that's more than what I asked. <laughs> no, in the, in the I notes. Just,
1: Yeah. I just put, I sense that failure is going to annoy the ever, the ever loving bleep out of me. Yeah. That's what, that's what my sense yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs>
0: This guy is going to be a tool bag and I'm going to hate him. Yep. (laughs) And let me tell you, spoiler alert, he lives up to that fully. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fully.
0: Adam, how about you? Um, You know, seeing Admiral Ackbar arrested, you know, what were your initial thoughts leading into you wanting to read book two immediately?
2: I felt sorry for Uncle Akbar. Like, <laughs> I just wanted him to be safe and just, you know, being a major part of the story. But you're right. It just, it sets up our hatred of, of a different character. It's it's happening for a reason. We are we are meant to dislike the Bothan. Yeah. And it's just another tick in the box for that to happen. But it definitely sets up the second book. So you're like, what could Admiral Akbar possibly have done? Right. Um, and there are stories of, like, of he- of clean cut heroes finally reaching the end of the line and making a decision that, you know, t- they they become the villain or they they make a decision that puts others at risk. So anything anything really could have been happening. And I'm guessing those who read this book when it got released were you know, <laughs> pretty annoyed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that they'd have to wait 12 yeah. months.
0: Uh, Chris says, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in here, but I have some curses for failure. <laughs>
1: That that's yep. that that's why I said the ever loving bleep on me because yep. that that word was definitely starting with an F. He says <laughs> uh,
0: he says that Felia is up there with Windu and then Ultimate Sauce Eight says and Rush Clovis.
1: Oh my uh, gosh! And oh, who was that guy that was like Krennic's like want like um, worshipped Krennic in the freaking the last I, Thrawn. Throne treason. Oh I that guy, yes. I just wanted to punch him in the face so bad. <laughs> yes. Like I know I
0: know exactly who you're talking about.
1: I forget um, his name. But yeah, Failia, <laughs> it just it just makes you want to punch him in the face. He's just one of those guys.
0: Yeah. Uh Ultimate Sauce also says the inspector from the Senate murders. We've got Director Ronan. Like
1: <laughs> they're just Yes. Yeah, Ronan. that's, a, that's that was, who it is. That was the Ronan. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh yeah. oh, I hated him so much.
0: Some of these people, man, they're the worst. <laughs> yeah. Failure is up there for sure. He's on, he's on my, uh, he's on my list. <laughs> um, speaking of the ending, I guess, uh, Cheryl, did you like to be continued? Did Did you like that, that concept? Like, did it, I guess, give you a sense of urgency, I guess?
1: Yeah. It just meant I was going to get more books. So like, <laughs> yeah, I like to be continued <laughs> because it means I get a bigger story.
0: Yeah. I think, I think it kind of threw me off the first time that I read it and I, I, that I saw it there. And I think after I finished the trilogy, I realized that while this book does have a beginning, middle, and an end, the end feels to me like a little lackluster, but it's just because the whole book is the first part of one gigantic story. And so I think that if this book ever gets any any kind of flack or, or hate or anything like that. It's like, it's not a perfect book. And I'm like, but it's a perfect three books.
1: <laughs> because it's it's the first act.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I just, it, it was really, to me, I liked seeing it because I knew that, oh, this is this is going to bleed on. This is going to give me more. Um, Adam, how about yeah. you? Yeah,
1: we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, that's, I, I don't see a problem with it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just just... It's it's a tool used in the story. It it shows that that the second book is gonna be it's gonna be written and it's gonna be released. I think it allows the readers to get to the end of the book and, and not have to worry about the the idea of never knowing. Yeah. I, um, I do I do like that- Perhaps, perhaps it's there. Perhaps it's there for a reason. It's so like we're rewatching the Marvel movies, and a lot of the you know a lot of the Marvel movies have the this character will return yeah. or this character will return into like a particular movie. So, like those who have read the story and love these new characters, like Mara, can be you know sit there and and know that some something more is coming. Yeah,
0: it's like for me, like while while publishing things can kind of change and get shifted around, and and real world stuff can delay projects and all that. I appreciate tags like this because it lets me know that they thought this thing through. (laughs) Like it's not, you know, that there is actually going to be a second one coming. You know, you don't put, you know, the Ant-Man and the Wasp will return if there's not going to be another movie with them. um, If they weren't already for sure, something like that was going to happen. So I don't
1: know. Yeah, It sets up the intention. This is intended to be part of a larger full story.
0: Yeah, it's just I think it's something new. I haven't seen much in Star Wars books, and so I, I was glad to see that. And it kind of threw me off a bit, too. But um, one random fun connection that I found through reading the book, um, Zahn talks about the fact that he wrote the Nogri, um to counter the Ewoks, pretty much. Um, they have a similar family and village life and a sense of honor and commitment to those that they've accepted as friends and allies. Um and, you know, there's no real question here. It's just fun. Um, but he, he basically wrote them to be terrifying <laughs> um, because the Ewoks were too cute and cuddly. Um, but I, I'm just here for the record to say that the Ewoks absolutely terrified me a bit as a child um the, they the, eat the, people the campfire scene and stuff like i wasn't having it with the whole c3po is a god thing i was like this is weird i don't know what kind of stuff i'm getting into <laughs> <laughs> i was like what is happening here um and then definitely playing ewok hunt uh that mode on battlefront 2 um, is absolutely horrifying because you can play as a stormtrooper and you can't see the little buggers running around your ankles and just out of nowhere, they just up and kill you. And it's absolutely horrifying to play at, you know, one o'clock in the morning with all your lights off um, and running through a dark forest and these things are chasing you. So um, <laughs> it would be even worse, I guess, if the Nogri were involved in that. And there's like a Nogri hunt mode. I don't know. Um but, oh, yeah, man.
1: You wouldn't stand the, a chance. I would
0: not. <laughs> I would not.
1: <laughs> I kind of, um, I think of them more like Wookies than Ewoks, but yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think, yeah, Chris says, um, I don't mean to scare you, Timothy, but, and then he posts a picture of uh, a Legends comic, Ewoks flight to danger and it's it's just little Ewoks running on like this rainbow bridge into a fire pit or something like that I don't know what that crap is but you need to get out of here with it (laughs) Uh, no I have I have come to admire and love the the Ewoks um now that I have grown up and that doesn't scare me anymore um but I just I think it was really interesting that he's like the Ewoks are too cute and cuddly, so let's make an evil version of them. <laughs> and that's where but the like, Nogre came from. they'll still cook
1: you alive and eat you and then yeah. use your helmet as, like, a xylophone.
0: Uh, I just can't. I can't with them. <laughs> I can't. Oh, man. Um, well, that is basically basically it. We're going to leave it on some childhood trauma from my from my past. <laughs> um Cheryl, what is your favorite moment or character? Do you have a favorite moment or character from this book?
1: Um, I Well, I have I have lots of favorite characters. Obviously Thrawn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Thrawn definitely has been... Uh, yeah, Thrawn and Mara and Card are definitely some of my favorite characters that zon has brought into the star wars universe mm-hmm. so yeah i would just say they're my favorites i just i just love the whole book so yeah <laughs> favorite no, that's moments, whole thing <laughs> whole
0: thing top to bottom cover to cover yep. adam how about you favorite moments or characters from
2: the book uh for me uh all the new characters that i read were great but i think i really love talon card in terms of in terms of moments, definitely um, Mara and Luke in the forest, especially when Mara um, speaks to Luke about her past. Mm-hmm. But I also love the idea of the Nogri, um, you know, putting into question their blind loyalty to the Empire and 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 really, you know, starting Cabarrack leaning into Leia as like, you know, potentially an, an alternative.
0: Yeah. Um, As you were saying that, Chris said, favorite moments are Mara and Luke in the forest. Damn, Adam just said that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really easy part to love. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to piggyback on Ultimate Sauce 8 here, um, who says, I like how the lens of Paleon makes everything more believable. Um, And I love that we got his interpretation of what was happening with Thrawn and that Thrawn let him, you know, piece some of these things together to help us see, you know, how this new threat that we've never met before, this alien, um, operates and just, there's a, there's a, there's a reverence there that, um, that he has for Thrawn in a way. Um, and I just, anytime that, that we got them on, on page together, um, I was, Mm -hmm. I was all for it. All for it. Definitely. Well, thank you to everyone for listening and for participating in the Conjure Book Club. We are so, always so, so happy to have y'all with us. Um, We will be back next week to talk through Victory's Price. Brand new book coming out. Oh my gosh. Part three of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. Um, in the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at Darkstar AU and Patrick is on Discord at Mac11. Special shout out for the final time this month uh, to Cheryl Bell. You can find her in the Discord community at Cheryl with the blue butterfly. She is always killing it. Um, you can definitely find her in Assembly Chat on the reg. Um, it's always a fun time in there. Um, Anywhere Cheryl is, is a fun time, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) If you want to help support the show, head on over to UTini.com, look up Air to the Empire, and click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air um, and help us produce some more awesome content. You will find links to Air to the Empire and March's book, Alphabet Squadron, Victory's Price, in the show notes in the Start Here channel and Discord. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at utini.com forward slash merch. A special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, um, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. And shout out to Adam and Cheryl for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone.